Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we have written and published 35 cookbooks at, I don't know, seven or eight New York publishers. Over the years, we are just out with our 35th book, The Instant Air Fryer Bible. It is perfect for all your New Year's resolutions because <laughs> you can create healthy, crunchy food. And crunchy is what it's all about in my books. But we're not talking about air frying in this episode of the podcast. Instead, we're going to talk about the 2023 food trends. We're going to give you a one-minute cooking tip. Bruce has an interview with Vasuda Viswanath, who is the author of The Vegetarian Reset. And we're going to talk about what's making us happy in food this week, as we always do. Let's get started with food trends for 2023. First of all, Happy New Year. I hope everyone had a lovely New Year's Eve and a uh, lovely know, holiday season. I have to talk about that for a minute. Bruce knows this, and, and I don't know why I feel the need to say this, but I'm going to say this. I hate New Year's Eve. <laughs> I th- Bruce knows this already about me. I don't really like oh, – I have a whole problem with holidays recently, but I've never really liked New Year's Eve. I've always been the one that's in bed by 9 o'clock, and I just don't get it. I so. have always loved New Year's Eve, <laughs> but I always loved – just getting together with like one other couple or yeah. two other couples having a lovely dinner party. Mark okay. and I used to get together with one couple every year and play bridge and eat steak tartare and that was a lovely thing but yeah, that stopped right. and last year we have friends over. We had steaks and I said to Mark I am so tired. We turned in a new book we're traveling to see our families for the holidays and I said when we get back for New Year's I'm doing nothing but then of course friends called and said come over for dinner. So well, we did. Exactly but again these events like the, we went to this last New Year's Eve, these events are small sit-down oh, dinner yeah, parties with a few people. Yeah. yeah, and I just, I don't get the whole giant crowd scene, and I realize that I'm being really, what am I being, an old fart? Something. <laughs> I, but I think I've, I was a young fart. I, I mean, I, I always was the type who just didn't like the big crowd scenes. I don't like, I, uh, well, this is a whole different discussion, and it doesn't have anything to do with 23. I just don't like parties with people milling about. It's a thing with me, and please forgive me. Now you know everything about my Puritan Protestant soul. Every uh, time we watch <laughs> the Poseidon Adventure, and we actually do watch it over and over again, it's, it's that a great New Year's Oh God, that New Year's Eve scene where the ship turns upside down. Mm. I'm like, yay! I'm just so happy. <laughs> Shelley Winters falls through the piano and that ceiling crashes and the party is over. Okay, that's really crass. And um, you, first of all, no you actors are were harmed much in more the making. a party person than I am. And when I met you, you loved having parties and buffet parties and lots of people in our New York City apartment. It's me who's always been the one who's like, everybody sit down and shut up. So um, there you go. All right, well, let's talk about, well, don't I sound endearing? Don't Somebody get to know me. Lovely. Lovely. Let's talk about food trends out in 2023. According to Better Homes and Gardens and Whole Foods, tinned fish, you've heard us talk about it in the past, is still growing. It is going to be continuing to grow in 2023. We made tinned fish one of our holiday gifts in the holiday gift guides. And what we like is eatfishwife.com. We like the fly-by-jing chili crisp tinned salmon. Yeah, and smoked Baltic sea sprats, which you can get at haleyhenry.com. Yeah, Haley Henry. 
com. We dot com. We've talked about Haley. The restaurant is Haley dot Henry, mm-hmm. and their website is H A L E Y Henry Haley Henry dot com. And the, she is a woman who runs that is a force of nature, and she is a major importer of tinned fish at this point. And that restaurant in Boston is fabulous. But you can just go to their website and order tons of tinned fish. And I should tell you that um, it's interesting. It, it kind of blows your mind when you just are used to sardines in the supermarket. But I mean, she's got. Tinned fishes up over a hundred dollars yeah. a ten. I they mean, can be really, really expensive. Really expensive. But one of the new things I saw on their website was the smoked Baltic sea sprats, and I was mm. like, "Ooh, that sounds really good." So I might have to try and get some. But tinned fish are supposedly going to be continuing to grow, so you will probably be able to find really interesting tinned fish I even at your local supermarket. Tinned fish. And I, you know, listen, when I was a kid, I used to ask mom to make me uh, sardines, literally supermarket run of the Please sardines. tell me with cream cheese. No, with mayonnaise on white bread. We were Protestants. With mayonnaise with on shmia. white bread. With a I want it with a no, shmia on a bagel. No, it was on mayonnaise on white bread sandwiches with sardines from a can, and I loved <sighs> it. But tin fish is really an explosion of flavor, big, huge flavors, really lovely. Bruce and I have had many a party in the last couple of years, and I'm glad to see the trend is continuing, in which we have opened some really nice tins of fish that we have ordered from suppliers online and poured icy shots of vodka with it, mm-hmm. and it's a really decadent and beautiful beginning to an evening with friends. So uh, according to the test kitchen manager at Better Homes and Gardens, the upcoming new world trend for 2023 is authenticity over shortcuts. And I find this to be a bit suspect, and I want to talk about why in just a second, <laughs> but can you talk about that authenticity over shortcuts? Well, the they're claiming that it's going to be all about the real way to do everything, from laminating dough for croissants to regional recipes, handmade pastas, making your own pizza doughs, rather than the shortcut of buying puff pastry, of buying a pizza dough. They are saying this is going to be a year where we all go back and do it from scratch. Okay. First of all, this is a test kitchen manager at Better Homes and Gardens, so this justifies his or her job. So, of course, they're going to say this. This is exactly what they want. They don't want to say, oh, you're going to make cheese straws out of purchased puff pastry, but you're going to somehow laminate dough. I mean, do you really think that people are going to do this kind of thing? I mean, you do it. You make, Bruce is a crazy man when it comes to Szechuan dumplings. He, he makes his own wrappers. I mean, he rolls oh, out his own wrappers. Yeah, why wouldn't I? They're so much better than anything you could buy. Oh. I'm going for authenticity here. Actually, it's not authenticity. Oh. I'm going for quality. I just want better, and if I don't mind spending the 20 minutes it takes to make a dough, I would rather make my own than buy now, it. I will tell you this about authenticity that I have said for probably a decade. I Seriously, I'm serious. And how many cookbooks have we published? 35 lots. And I have said for a decade that I want to make real croissants, that I want to yeah. laminate dough and do the whole 500,000 turns and not a rough puff. If you watch the great British baking show, you know what I'm talking about. Not a rough puff, but the honest to God real thing. And I said, said this and said this and said this. And I, and you notice that I have never got up the gumption <laughs> in 10 years. I have the nice cold granite counter where I could put the dough out on and roll it out. I just can't bring myself to do this. Well, if you listened to an episode a few weeks ago, you heard me interview Rose Levy Barenbaum, and she has a new book, The Cookie Bible. And we talked about a chocolate palmier cookie she has, there which is chocolate puff pastry. So you put cocoa powder into that dough when you fold in the butter. And so you talk about going crazy, but I will repeat something Mark and I have said 
many, many times over the years, over fussiness and authenticity does not necessarily get dinner on the table. No, it doesn't. I mean, listen, we've written a ton of Instant Pot books, and now we seem to be in the air fryer world. And of course, that we're writing books in which we are using shortcuts all over the place. It's really funny. And I suppose this is something for the podcast and not for uh, what the career, but it's really funny that our career in cookbooks is about really fast recipes, a lot of shortcuts. Of course, the Instant Pot involves all kinds of shortcuts in a pressure cooker and an air fryer too. But when we cook for ourselves, we are insane people who make complicated recipes. You heard us talk about my Iranian dinner party of food that I made a few weeks ago. Again, Bruce rolls out his own dough for Szechuan meat pies. He rolls out his own dumpling wrappers. It's really crazy that on our own, left to our own devices, we go for this wild authenticity. I mean, I drove over an hour to, to a Middle Eastern market to find one kind of noodle that was specific to this Iranian dish. Well, so. I don't think it was about authenticity as much as just wanting to make the best dish we can make. And uh, that's maybe. always the way I see it. Maybe. Yeah. So another of the big trends coming out for 2023, according to various sources, is all kinds of pasta alternatives. And this has been around for a while, but this is a little bit of a twist on what they're saying is now going to be a twin. I mean, we know for a long time that there's been chickpea pasta lentil pasta. Bruce and I mostly eat lentil pasta and chickpea mm-hmm. pasta mostly at this point because I want to introduce more whole grains and more nutrition into every bite that I take. It, we, neither of us have a gluten intolerance, but we mostly eat lentil and chickpea pasta at this point. But this isn't that. This is different from that, right? Well, this is pasta alternatives from produce. And this is something that if you, again, listen to us over the last few months during the summer, we did a recap of what was big at the fancy food shows in New York. And this showed up there too. Pastas made from green bananas, from hearts of palm. Have you seen this? Okay, now, now let me, I'll say that I am the writer and Bruce is the chef. And so when we are writing a book or when we're in high recipe testing mode, he's the one going to the supermarket all the time. And, you know, the writer, I get to stay home eight days out of eight in a row. So I don't go to the supermarket all that often, I will confess. But... Uh, Have you seen this at the supermarket? I haven't yet, but the Whole Foods website talks about these products, and they claim that they're going to be getting in all these hearts of palm pasta and green banana pasta. My guess is, since I haven't seen it, is what they're doing is they're drying the green bananas, they're drying the hearts of them, they're grinding them up Mm -hmm. into a flour. So the flour is not made from a grain, not made from a lentil, but made from a dried ground up vegetable. Yeah. Now, and again, notice you're saying Whole Foods. If you, I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you know this, but if you don't, we live in very rural New England and we live about an hour from a Whole Foods, about an hour away. Depends on the traffic, but about an hour away from a Whole Foods down, not a single highway, down mm-hmm. just surface country roads a lot of the way. And when someone is in front of you going 30 <laughs> miles an hour and you could be going 50, oh, it's not a pleasant scene. No. No, it's not. It, I, yeah, I, we don't live anywhere near any kind of highway at all. 
takes us a while to get to one. But anyway, I, that's where you would find it, I'm sure, is Whole Foods. And yeah. you say you haven't found it there. Still so. early in 2023. So this we have 11 and a half months for this trend to really take off or prove us right. And the next trend we want to talk about is something that is extraordinarily near and dear to my heart. And that is the, that many of the sites, the Whole Foods, many of the food magazines are positing that dates are a major trend for 2023. And I have to tell you, I am a date maniac. So yeah, this is very near to my heart. Now, first of all, let's dispel the myth that he's eating those little bits of sugary dates oh, no, that are no, in no, the no, baking no. aisle. No, no, no. He is eating good dates, good, yes. juicy, soft, mushy dates. And we're not just talking I about Majuls. We're talking about Bari dates mm. and Thori dates, and they taste just like honey. And then there's a Pyram date, which is rich and chocolatey. But oh, I've never had that. Yeah, we have not had them, but I've read about them. So we need to be prepared to see a ton of new dates in the market and date products like date sugar. Now, we all know coconut sugar is a big thing, but date sugar is going to be big and date ketchup. Well, and go back to my Iranian dinner. And I started out with an appetizer dip that I found that is made with roasted butternut squash. You roast butternut squash, you whir it with tahini, sesame paste, in a food processor, olive oil, some spices, heavily spiced. And then you spread it on a plate and you top it with pomegranate seeds, chopped mint and date syrup mm, and I served so it with good. pita bread and just to scoop up and it was really delicious and the date syrup it's not what you think mm -hmm. it's sweet but it's not sickly sweet no it's the only thing I could describe it to from that part of the world also is it's similar in texture and consistency to pomegranate molasses yeah. it's sort of just a thick sweet, complex flavored syrup that is just an amazing ingredient, but even more amazing garnish. Yeah, if if you're interested in, in upping your date game, I know this sounds really silly, but if you are... Not your dating game, your date <laughs> your game. Your date game. Baris are amazing, and you can find them with little round dates, and they all of these dates you can buy in bulk, which is how Bruce and I do it, and then we store them in our freezer, and I have to tell you, baris are even better out of the freezer. They're like caramels. They get get hard. You can crack a crown on them if you're not careful. I think I actually pulled a crown off once with a bar. Excellent. And I think, didn't I? I don't remember. Anyway, but they get hard in the freezer. You can hold them in your mouth and soften them up, and they get very mm. caramel -like. back to dating. Oh, God, help me. Um, <laughs> I can't go there. So, anyway, um, <laughs> you, you, uh, you, they're really good, and watch out in the coming year. If, look for date farms, particularly in California. I know this sounds really funny. We've mentioned this in the podcast before, but it's really great. Date farms in Southern California run Ramadan specials mm -hmm. in which they uh, you can buy 10 kilos of dates, 20 pounds of dates <laughs> really for cheap. not very much. Yeah. And we buy the 10 kilo box and we store it in, in bags in the freezer. And we do. Luckily, we I have a number dates. of freezers and it works. So another thing that you might find in 2023 in the food world is kelp. And you will find it in noodles, in chips, in fish free fish sauce. Now, I got a, I got another bone to pick. Uh, so, okay, so kelp is this big trend. Mm -hmm. But this is, hasn't this been a perennial thing that sea vegetables, that kelp, that all this stuff, that nori, that it, this, it seems like as long as I've been in the food biz, sea vegetables of some sort are going to be the, are going to be the next big thing. Well, in terms of kelp, I can tell you there already are some products that we saw at the Fancy Food Show and that are going to be carried in Whole Foods like 
like organic puffed kelp chips, um, sea salt with kelp. Um, sea Tangle Noodle Company is making kelp noodles, Ocean's Halo, Kombu, and Atlantic Sea Farms Sea Chai, and Maine Coast Organic Kelp Granules. This all sounds like wish fulfillment to me. It really does. And I'm sorry, I, I got nothing against kelp. I got nothing against people trying to make a living at uh, producing kelp products. But it's just I've been around the block a long time in the food business, and it seems like this is a perennial thing. Sea vegetables, sea kelp, blah, blah, blah. This is going to be it. And I don't mean to put a damper on this, but I keep wondering when it's really going to take off. When is this thing that keeps coming up going to actually take off? Here's why it won't. Because you can't just eat kelp, basically. Yeah, exactly. You can use it as an ingredient. You can use it as an enhancer. You can get products out of it. But it's not like you're going to go to the produce department and just buy kelp. Or you can take a thing, a vegetables from the sea and turn it into nori. Turn it into wrappers. Mm -hmm. You can do all that with it. But you can't just eat it. No. And At least even, not the kelp that we can find. No. And even the seaweed salad that, for example, you get in Japanese restaurants, that seaweed, it takes a lot to get it it's to that state. It's highly processed, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a funny thing. It sounds good. And every time I have sea vegetables, like, uh, we've been places with sea asparagus and, you know, I don't know, it's not asparagus, but that's what they call it. And they taste delicious, but I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know how it's going to work. Okay. Well, the last thing I want to talk about that you will find in products, and again, this is becoming an ingredient, avocado oil. Now, yeah. we've talked about it a long time ago. Love it. We always keep it in our pantry. It's a fabulous oil to keep on hand for salad dressings. But what is happening is avocado oil is moving away from the pantry, and it's becoming an ingredient in ready-to-eat products, taking the place of other oils like canola and safflower. Yeah, I mean, canola has gotten such a bad rap because of the way it's farmed that, it, that a lot of people are trying to move away from it in some way. And same with corn oil. Listen, we're never going to move away from canola and corn oil, but people are looking for alternatives. I think that's part of the avocado oil craze. But I also say that I support this craze because I love avocado oil. It's delicious. I do too. And here we're going to get a product that actually combines the sea vegetables and avocado oil. The Gimme Seaweed Snacks uh, made with sea salt and avocado oil. Oh, here we go. <laughs> we're also going to get Boulder Canyon potato chips fried in pure avocado oil. Whole Foods has tartar sauce made with avocado oil. These products must be incredibly expensive. Yeah, we're not necessarily talking these are budget things. Yeah, these are no. high no, this end. Isn't, this isn't stop and shop potato chips. No, this is privileged potato chips. <laughs> it is privileged potato chips. First of all, chips. I think any potato chip is a privilege. Well, I mean, yes, okay, in terms of nutrition, and yes, of course, but a bag of the local supermarkets brand potato chips is not potato chips fried in avocado <laughs> oil. This sounds all like very up stuff for, you know, um, if we are indeed headed toward a recession, this doesn't sound like stuff that's going to last the recession through. I mean, this is up and expensive to quote stuff. quote your late father, the rich will be with you always. Yes, that is what my late father always said, <laughs> riffing off Jesus, who said the poor will be with you always. He always said the rich will be with you always. And I, my father was a very religious man, a very Christian religious man. And I always thought, do you know you're kind of making fun of Jesus with that? I don't, I don't think you probably want to. But anyway, 
Um, yes, uh, that's true. But how many Elon Musks out there can buy how many avocado oil potato chips <laughs> to keep the company in business? I don't all know. All of them. All of them. <laughs> He's going to buy all of them. Oh, maybe so. Before <laughs> we get to our next segment of this podcast, I would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and to rate it. Give it a rating. Drop down on the Apple or the Google or the Spotify menu. You will see how to rate the podcast. You can give it a star rating. And if you take the time and just drop a comment like nice uh, podcast or enjoying your podcast that would be great and to respond to a recent comment on our podcast <laughs> what's up with essa bagels they're too doughy it's just too big and doughy somebody wrote on apple podcast what's your deal with essa bagels well let me just tell you they're too doughy for me and they said well where can i get a better pumpernickel bagel and i've lived out of new york for 16 years so i cannot answer this well question. i can answer it but you have to get out of new york because the best bagels ever are in Fairlawn, New Jersey oh, at Hot Bagels on, fighting words. on Morlot Avenue oh. and I'm fighting, I don't care. They are the best bagels ever. Morlot Avenue, Fairlawn, New Jersey. Hot bagels, yeah. Mm. I mean, they they really are delicious. I have to tell you that the first time Bruce and I bought a car, we were living in Manhattan. We didn't have a car. We were starting to do a weekly segment on Comcast's default channel, you know, the channel that is on in the old cable days. Back when, when people had cable. Yeah, right, exactly. When you turn your TV on, it's the first thing that's on, kind of like New York One was in New York for a while. <laughs> oh, um, right? Okay, well, we were on the weekly food segment, and so we needed a car. So we bought a car. The very first thing we did. We pulled out of the dealership. And drove to Hot Bagels <laughs> in Fairlawn, New Jersey. It's the <laughs> first thing that we did with our brand new car. So that is our recommendation for Hot bagels. Okay, up next on the podcast, our one-minute cooking tip. Share a meal virtually. We can't always have dinner with the people we want to have dinner with because they're too far away. And so make a Zoom dinner date or a FaceTime dinner date or a drink date or a tea date. Yep. We started doing this with our friends and family during COVID. Yep. But it is something that we have continued. Mark and I both still do it. Yep. I think it's so nice. So your sister lives across the country and you miss her and you want to have pizza with her. You should both order in pizza and get on Zoom or FaceTime and sit there together and eat pizza and talk yeah. for an hour. I mean, I, I, I had tea dates with people where, you know, in the middle of the afternoon, we'd have a cup of tea for an hour on FaceTime or on Zoom. It's really nice because, A, it's better than just a standard, in my opinion, just a standard FaceTime conversation because it those is. can be really fast. The tea makes you slow down or the meal makes you slow yeah, down. Yeah, and it's really nice if you're even eating the same thing. Like you, you order in Chinese. You, order, you each order in pizza. And, yes, if they're on the East Coast and you're on the West Coast, there is a three-hour time difference, and so one of you eats late and one of you eats early. Yeah, well, we won't talk about if one of them's in Tokyo and you're somehow on the But East it doesn't Coast matter because if you listen to another previous thing about breakfast, they eat the same thing for breakfast that we uh, eat for dinner. They? So, they. <laughs> okay, they. Okay, it's easy in Tokyo to find miso and sushi and rice for breakfast. They. So we'll all eat that at the same time. Yes, excellent. <laughs> Moving away from the racism, <laughs> we're on to segment three, where Bruce has an interview with Vasuda Viswa who is the author of The Vegetarian Reset. Today I'm talking with Vasuda Viswanath. She is the creative and culinary force behind the website and food community at www.v8well.com. Her new book is called The Vegetarian Reset, 75 Low-Carb Plant-Forward Recipes from Around the World. Welcome, Vasuda. 
Hi, Bruce. Thank you for having me on the show. Love your podcast. It's so fun. Thank you so much. You write in your book about growing up as a foodie in India and being a vegetarian since childhood. And this has led you to think about vegetarian food two ways. So can you talk about those? So, you know, when I moved to the U.S. over a decade ago, I found that the Western notion of vegetarian food was quite different from what I'd grown up with. Uh, here, I think a lot of omnivores turn vegetarian for often health reasons or ethical reasons, and they eat a lot of green, healthy salads and steamed vegetables. But for me, uh, you know, growing up in India, and my family has been vegetarian for generations, as have many in India and certain other parts of the world, it was often for cultural or religious reasons. I never considered salads a meal until I moved to America. And um, our meals tended to revolve around grains, whether it was rice or bread. In the past, I think it was ancient grains, whole grains, for example, barley in India. But now in the modern world, it's unfortunately all refined grains that are mostly starch. And so in my book, that's the, the contrast I try to draw, you know, between the, the brand of vegetarianism that is perceived as healthy versus the reality for a lot of people who know that eating that way all the time is hard. In the book, you talk about a culinary trilemma of vegetarianism. That's a mouthful. What does that mean? It is a mouthful. <laughs> um, it's a really simple but ambitious question that I pose to myself. Can I be a vegetarian and a foodie, but still eat healthy at the same time? And people often assume that as vegetarians, uh, we can't be foodies because we're just doomed to eat salads all the time. And, you know, we know that's not true because uh, we eat all sorts of delicious food. Um, but unfortunately, many of those options revolve around refined grains and sugar. So for me, the question was, can I be a foodie but also eat healthy? And that intersection of all of those three things, being a vegetarian, being a foodie, and being healthy, that's what I call a culinary trilemma. And uh, that's the puzzle that I attempt to solve in this book, finding that sweet spot. I think that's wonderful when you can reach that spot. And your recipes offer people a way to get there. And I love that breads are not off limits, that if you want to eat vegetarian and healthy and be delicious... But there are some ways of making breads that we might not have considered, you know, here in the U.S., using veggies and chickpea flour in breads. How do these ingredients make breads not only healthier, but also more tasty? Yeah. Uh, and again, just to reiterate, I don't consider bread off limits at all. I love a good traditional sourdough. Uh, but in this book, I try to provide some lower carb options for people. And I think people are very familiar with almond flour here, but um, chickpea flour, we, we call it basin in India, and we use it in a lot of different foods. Um, I tried experimenting adding it to my bread because I feel like it, it imparts this savory flavor, kind of reminiscent of falafel. And I, I really find that delicious. This recipe, it's the first recipe in my book. It's called the zucchini bread. I've made zucchini bread before, but it's usually sweet. 
And this time I wanted to make it a savory bread, like a sandwich loaf. So I added zucchini to that mixture and it added this moist texture uh, that was really delicious. It was a tough recipe, actually. It took me over a dozen tries to get it right. But, you know, vegetables are center stage everywhere in this book. And I just found a way to sneak them into bread, too. Being from South India, you talk about how rice has always been a mainstay of your diet. You grew up with rice at the center of the table. How can we enjoy some of our rice favorites without all the carbs of white rice? You know, white rice can really make me go weak in the knees. It can also send my blood sugar soaring. And I know this because I wore a continuous glucose monitor for a while. Um, I think with refined grains, the problem is that it's very easy to overeat them. There's no fiber to fill you up. But in this book, I use riced cauliflower as a substitute for white rice. And it's really easy because today you get frozen packs in the supermarket. Uh, you know, it's really convenient to just throw them on the stove with a touch of oil and uh, cook until dry. And then it gets this neutral flavor. It doesn't taste like cauliflower at all. And it takes on the flavor of the spices or the sauces in the dish. And it's great. But I think whole grains are a great option as well. And the nice thing about whole grains is that you just can't eat as much because the fiber fills you up and then automatically you get a lower carb meal. And how do we apply that philosophy to pasta? You know, if you get a spiralizer, you can spiralize all sorts of different vegetables and make noodles out of vegetables uh, at home. And I've tried zucchini, I've tried beets, butternut squash, uh, the long white daikon radish. That way you get, you know, the satisfaction of twirling the noodles with your fork, but uh, it's still a lower carb meal. Today, there's lots of alternatives to regular pasta. There's pasta made out of legumes, chickpeas or lentils, for example, and they're all great options. But I try to make my recipes so rich and flavorful that it's really not about the noodles anymore or the grains. It's uh, it's just delicious. And I hope my readers feel that that way as well. You said earlier that you didn't eat a salad as a meal till you came to the U.S. And I like that you wrote in your book also, salads are just a stereotypical notion of vegetarian food. So much so, you did not even want to include a salad chapter in your book. So how did you overcome that? And what are some of the salads that you have to offer in your book? That's right. Uh, for a long time, I didn't consider a salad a meal. And, you know, I always have to have something cooked in my salad, you know, and here, typically, when when I uh, was working on Wall Street, I would order a salad, choosing from this long list of ingredients. And then finally, when I got my salad, it was missing the avocado. And that was the reason I ordered the salad in the first place. So in this book, wherever I've uh, created a main salad, it usually has a cooked element like falafel or marinated paneer, which is delicious. The first recipe in that section is the cucumber papdi chaat which uh, is honestly so fun. I, I'm daring to call it a salad here. It's, it's so fun. It's inspired by an Indian street food. And I just replaced the deep fried flour based rounds that, that are in the chart with, that's called the papi. And I replaced it with cucumber. That's equally crispy and crunchy. It's so good. It's topped with these tangy chutneys and spiced nuts. 
It even won over my parents, and I can tell you they're tough cookies. There are some comfort foods that a lot of us can't live without, like French fries. But you offer up healthier alternatives in your book, like jicama fries, which look fantastic. And one of my new favorite crunchy dishes, masala vada, and you bake it, you don't fry it. Why don't you talk about this for people who may never have heard about it? For sure. The masala vada is definitely one of my favorites from South India growing up. Um, it's a lentil patty uh, with some spices and, and vegetables added, and it's traditionally deep fried. It's very similar to falafel in concept and preparation because, you know, in falafel, you soak dried chickpeas and then you grind them together with herbs. Uh, it's very similar here. You, you soak the dried lentils uh, and grind them together. And I've always thought that people from the Middle East and ancient India must have compared recipes because they were ancient trading routes. And that's why I think they're so similar. This is my mother-in-law's recipe. And I don't have anything against deep frying, but I have to confess I'm a little bit scared of it. So I devised a way to um, retain that crunchy texture by adding in the oil in the batter itself, as opposed to spraying it on top, which is what most people do. And then you can bake it or you can air fry it. And it is delicious. You claim the dessert chapter in your book was something you weren't even planning on including from the beginning. But there it is. And it's filled with some delicious sweets. So tell me about your favorite healthier dessert. Well, if you think about it, Right. In nature, fruits are the dessert and uh, they usually come accompanied with fiber and you can't eat that many of them. So that's where I took my inspiration from. And in this book, the desserts are all sweetened with whole fruit and they're lightly sweet, but they're still really satiating and you can't eat too much. My favorite dessert of the five in the book is the Betty Cashew Burfi. So this is inspired by the cashew burfi from India, which uh, it's also called kaju katli. And it's a diamond-shaped uh, fudge. It's made of ground cashew, and it's held together with sugar syrup. And if you have Indian friends, they might have gifted you a box of these during Diwali. It's uh, really popular. And so in the book, I replace the sugar syrup with a syrup made from berries. And um, I love berries. So this is the favorite of my recipes in the book. And um, it the, the barfi gets this deep purple color and it's covered with this uh, silver foil that makes it look really pretty. And um, it's lightly sweet, but it's delicious. Vasuda Vizwanath, your new book, Vegetarian Reset, 75 low-carb plant-forward recipes from around the world will be out mid-January, available for pre-order now. Great good luck with the book, and thank you for spending some time with me this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I really had fun chatting, Bruce, and uh, take care. Thank you. It's a great perspective, right? The vegetarian reset. Her perspective of getting the fulfillment of eating food that's very flavorful, even though you've given up meat, it's a wonderful way to look at it, and the food is delicious and healthy and satisfying. Yeah, and it sounds like you like the book. That you... I did like the book, and I enjoyed my conversation with her very much. Oh, that's very nice. Okay, our last segment, as is traditional on this podcast is what's making us happy in food this week and I'm going to start 
Okay. I never start. You but never what's start. making me happy in food this week? I will tell you are kumquats. They are new in the markets. Not new, but I mean, it's that time of year in which they come into the markets. And I have to tell you that I have been having a couple kumquats for breakfast every morning. And it is a beautiful, bright opening to the day. I mean, I have the kumquats before I have my coffee. I don't really drink juice ever. And they are a sour, big flavor. First thing in the morning, they wake up your palate. I love kumquats, and I make sure I'm going the little ones, the tiny, tiny little ones, because those are less seedy than mm. the bigger ones. I don't have to pick mm. seeds out of them to eat them. Well, what's making me happy is my homemade Santa Rosa plum jam, which I made over the summer from mm. plums from my sister and brother-in-law's trees in California. They literally put plums in a priority box. Flat rate box. Flat rate box. And they just shove as many plums as they can. About 30 pounds. And then mail the box. And out of those 30 pounds, I would say maybe one pound is mushed and ruined. But I get 29 pounds of plums. I made jam. And in fact, I'd forgotten I even had it down in the Mm. basement where I store my jams. And so I was down this morning looking for something for breakfast. And oh, I brought up a jar of that just crimson plum jam. And it was so delicious. You were down in the basement looking for something for breakfast. That sounds like the opening of a horror movie. (laughs) That sounds horrible. So I went to the basement. Sure enough, there was a dead rat. I thought, that's what I'm eating for breakfast. And that mm. sounds just disgusting. Well, that's our uh, podcast of Cooking with Peter Mark. Sorry, it just got, it went off the rails there for a minute. Um, that's our podcast this week. We hope that you will subscribe and like this podcast. And we really thank you for being along with us. We again see in the analytics that somehow we are really big in Oregon. Thank you to all our Oregon listeners. You other states should catch up. And outside of the United States, thank you to our Canadian and Australian listeners. We see that it is downloaded in Canada and Australia quite often, this podcast, and we really thank you for tuning in. But no matter where you live, we hope you have a wonderful, happy, and healthy 2023, and we look forward to sharing another 52 episodes with you of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.